0: and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Another Monday, but with another trophy to talk about here. So we have, let's start with the crew. It's our regular Monday crew, uh, but it looks like Gally is out of the time I chair this week, got bailed out of jail. What's going on, man? How's it going? Yeah, you know, I, uh,
1: whatever, whatever penance I had for that awful rant picking on kids in their jerseys, Kelly's allowed me to sit back in an adult-sized chair, giving me my normal camera, so uh, we'll take it from here. Uh, Once again, before the
0: second person can talk, Alan is with us, says, greetings from Houston. We welcome Alan, and we also welcome the evening version salad-eating Bickler. Bickler, what's happening?
2: Hey, man, don't uh, divulge my dinner to everybody, Jesus. Dude, uh, was it's, it's, it's a huge
0: upgrade or... from eating from a pot. So I figured I would mention that, you know, you're on your way up as well. I got to class it up since my boy Bamford's been out of the picture for so long now. <laughs> yes. Actually, we'll kind of like touch up on that too uh, towards the end. But obviously, most of the podcast i want to kind of focus on the fa cup game uh then we'll talk a little bit about tomorrow's game as well and kind of like roll the dice and see who comes up in terms of the lineup because i highly doubt we're going to get that one dead on it's going to be an interesting one but i want to focus mainly on the fa cup which are best segments the trivia focuses on as well so when chelsea lost yesterday i actually just stumbled upon this when i was looking at chelsea's loss so this is their third final in a row that they have lost so now they have lost eight finals which makes them joint top for this record of losing eight fa cup finals with two other teams they are tied now can you guess the other two teams we'll start with you bickler I mean we you know like this.
2: Like, hey, this is all me too. The, hey, can, we know that it's not is. we know it's not Manchester City, that's for damn sure, because they've been relevant <laughs> for about four years. Um, Alan guesses Lester. I'm just gonna, I mean, I'm gonna stick with the big boys. I'm gonna stick with Liverpool and Manchester United. It feels like a cop out, but I mean I'll just I don't know it, so I'll do the easy thing. So United and Liverpool
0: says Bickler, what say you galley?
1: Uh, I I think other teams that have eight losses. I think it's United and Arsenal. United
0: is one of them. You guys got that one right. So I'll give you guys partial credits. So United, Chelsea lost in 1915, 67, 94, 2002, 2017, and then 20, 21, 22. Nottingham Forest. Uh, No, we have to go to the relegation fighting Everton. Uh, for the other team that has good. lost eight finals along with United and Chelsea. See, you guys learned something today. That was a useful trivia. It wasn't a big learning. Even oh, you seemed cool. interested this week.
2: It was good. I mean, it, I didn't have to clarify, like, origin of the
1: question or anything like that. Uh, yeah, it was good. Okay, that well, makes me think think you...
0: If you're happy, I'm happy. So let's That that, that
1: makes me almost think you came up with that trivia question, Timuchin.
0: I did actually come up with that question. Thank you. Thank you. I I think that's a compliment, but I'll take it as a compliment and move on. (laughs) And poor BJ will probably be brewing you up some questions for next week so that you can suffer more. So let's talk about the FA Cup first. I figured, I mean, obviously it's been two days since the game. See, BJ says his uh, trivia was better. Honestly, it was better, but I was like, there's no way in hell these guys are going to know the answer. I figured you guys can have a good crack at this one, which you guys got 50%. So the FA Cup, I didn't want to go too many specifics of the game in terms of like tactics and stuff like that too much. It's freaking 120 minutes. Uh, We don't fit like an hour to go. Um, But let's talk uh, talk about the game in general. Bickler, we'll start with you. In terms of the performances overall, what stuck out to you the most in terms of maybe... Glaringly good and maybe glaringly poor or subpar.
2: Um, so continuing variations on a the theme, Diaz was phenomenal and has been for the last seven matches in a row. Like, he's just he's our most dynamic player going forward now. Like, he seems to be the catalyst for all things dangerous up top. Um, so I thought he was really good. I thought, I think, I think what. I think what will not get talked about as much, which I thought, which jumped out to me was how, how fucking important and how good Jordan Henderson was like throughout that match, like in terms of not only just his leadership, but like he was getting stuck in directing traffic. He does all the things that like where he's dictating the pace of play out of the midfield. But I thought he had a really, really big job to do in Fabinho's absence in a role. He's not generally his best role And I thought he did all those things really well. And then I will say my third sort of shout out will go to Kanate, who what really impressed me with Kanate was when Verge went out, he took over the leadership of that back line as as a young kid in his early 20s in a way that I didn't necessarily expect in a match of that magnitude with as much chaos was going back and forth in that match. And so those were the sort of the things that really stuck out to me um, across the board. And also, like, when we went to Pens, it, it was very much a normal game that we see with Chelsea where they, they sit back and try to hit us on the counter. They have a few really good opportunities, but the line share of opportunities are our, ours and it's hard to break down. And I just got this feeling like, man, if we were to lose this in Pens, it would be a fucking tragedy because, of, like, we've been so dominant. And we deserved it so much in that match. So, yeah. So, same question to you. I I honestly almost
0: thought having Henderson over Fabinho was slightly better in this game. Because I really like how fast the ball moves with Hando in there. I mean, anywhere when he's on midfield. But I think because of his... I don't know, like lack of agility or he's not as skilled on the ball. And I think that's why a lot of people don't like unfairly don't rate him. But I think due to that, he has to almost be two steps ahead. So he knows where the ball is going to go before it even comes to him half the time. And I think that makes him a really good player because the ball moves a lot faster when he's in midfield. How about you, Galley? Like what did you take out of the game in general uh, in terms of like performances that you saw?
1: Yeah. So, you know, similar to Paul, but maybe a few different pointers of, of at different players as far as I'll start with Henderson. Cause you just kind of uh, touched on him as well. I think there was a little bit of an advantage having Hendo in there instead of fab in this match. And I think it had more to do with how Tuchel actually set up. Um, you know, as soon as I saw that Pulisic was in the starting lineup with Lukaku, it was clear they were trying to come and hit on the counter. They were not going to try to win a battle in midfield. Even the Jorginho Kovacic uh, two-man holding midfield setup that they have, right then and there you know that they're not playing with Conte where they're going to press and they're going to try to win the ball back in the midfield. They were trying to win it in tough spots, hit us on the counter, and there were a few opportunities that they had in the first half. Um, Let's be honest, if they're a little bit more clinical in front of net, we could have found ourselves behind even as well as we played those first 10, 15 minutes. For me, that's why Allison was really just so, so important. I felt that once again, he showed his presence um, on the breakaway with in the one-on-one winning against Alonzo, being in the right spot, putting his body on the line, let alone getting clattered into. He had great distribution in the first half, and he made a few really critical saves um, that I think really put him in a position to be the man of the match. At one point, someone asked me, if they thought a guy was in green or the guy in blue or red was going to get man of the match. And I was like, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he's wearing green. Um, And he just seemed like it was really him that kept that score at nil, nil at the first half. And then Kanate, his presence from the beginning in such a big spot was important. There were a couple of times where Trent found himself out of position and Kanate used his pace to just close down players that I wasn't sure he had the pace to close down. Uh, And then to Paul's point, you know, when Van Dyke has to go off, it wasn't Matip, the veteran with 10 to 15 more years of experience moving to the position that isn't his most natural on the left-hand side of the center back. It was Kanate making that transition. And then it was Kanate leading the line, vocally talking, and really working with Samikis at the end to make sure that they were always on the same page, especially those couple late free kicks. And I think that level of leadership in that big a spot and to recognize that Costas just came into that match, I, I just think that we're seeing we're seeing a maturation. And I, I genuinely believe he has firmly put himself in the picture of being a first team 11 player in Jurgen Klopp's eyes right now.
0: Yeah, I want to kind of get to the substitutions, too, and see what you guys thought in terms of, like, who came in, if you kind of were expecting something else. I mean, I thought we started the game really good and it really could have scored early. We had those chances. One thing that I they were smart enough to do is instead of feeding the ball to Lukaku high and trying to use his height and girth and stuff as they would normally do – they kind of knew that was going to get lost between Konata and Van Dijk. And they were kind of like going, those balls were always going in low for Lukaku. Thank God his first touch is not the best. And that's really his weakness. So that kind of like helps the cause a little bit, but yeah, they did have their chances. It was one of those games where, I mean, especially for a guy like me, it's very painful to watch uh, when the game goes tied like that long, where both chances, both sides have chances and stuff like that. But then we kind of go to the extra time. But as we evolve, Bickler, you get these substitutions coming in. Anybody that you were shocked to see? I mean, obviously, some of them were. I mean, we lose Mo. And, you know, that's obviously more precautionary slash uh, an injury substitution. And then, you know, Van Dyke and Robertson is similar in the sense that it's more like fatigue and we don't want to have the injury. But are you shocked with anybody in terms of like who came in or when they came in? Any of that sort.
2: I think the only thing that I was a little bit surprised is that Jato was first off the bench. I would have thought maybe Bobby, but um, I know that he's coming back from an injury. But I think it's just like he's Jato has been struggling for so long that like I just was kind of surprised he was the first pick off the bench. Um, not a whole lot of surprises. I mean, Milner makes sense. I mean, nothing says playing for Pens like seeing Milner warm up. Um, and especially because, like, he's got a hell of a – I mean, he he was at one point our number one penalty taker many moons ago. Um, so not surprised to see that. I think everything else honestly makes makes a lot of sense. Um, it's just, like, in the aftermath of this whole thing, and we talked about how, like, emotionally draining this was for all three of us, right? But I think, like, I'm sitting looking out the window, second-story window over a bar in downtown Wilmington, and I'm thinking, like – we just won an FA cup final with arguably the best left back in the world on the bench, arguably the best center back in the world on the bench, arguably the best right winger in the world on the bench. And like, arguably the best defensive center midfielder on the bench. And like, you know, people are always like, I just read an article today, like credit to Liverpool. They're not the deepest squad in the world. It's like, dude, well, I mean, I think that's, I don't think that's fair. I think this is a pretty deep squad. I think more than depth, uh, like I'll take a page out of Brendan Rogers' book and, and talk about character. Like, when you look at those, like, if you look at the body language and you look at some of the photos from the penalty shootout, like, the camaraderie and like the general, like, the way that they conduct themselves as a collective, um, is something that everyone can learn from because I think that, like, in that situation with that pressure it's easy to feel that and, and have self-doubt. But I think that, that that the way that they conduct themselves as a team eliminates the, the potential for that or at least greatly reduces the risk of that because there's so much support in a genuine, familial manner like that you don't see often in professional sports. Um, and I think that kind of yeah. goes to – Obviously, winning
0: breeds that, but to get to that point, I go back to was that like who was that West Bromwich, Albion West Ham? We tied at home two 2 uh
2: club took the game, uh, took the team. That was a Norwich victory with Lilana with the game winner and the broken glasses. Well, and all this that no like
0: tied like we came back and we just tied. And I remember
1: at the time he was who was that it game, was, Gally? It was it was West Brom. I want to say it's West Brom on the road. We come back and we draw. Divock scores yep. a big goal. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this is actually going to be in our article that will come out next week. So I can't take full credit for remembering this. I actually edited an article that I read this. But he basically, Divock, Klopp takes the whole team over and they do the German arm thing. Oh yeah, that's right. And he got absolutely destroyed.
0: Yes, he did. And
1: he got destroyed, Not very similar to Jesse Marsh getting destroyed for doing the huddle at center pitch after they lost the first match that he was the coach because he was trying to galvanize the team and create a moment. And to Paul's point, um, I've been saying for a while that I would take our squad over cities, and I'll argue it all day. They may have more talent. They may even have more attacking flair or top-end areas, but I would say our balance and depth at all positions – Which is shown when we lose the best center back in the world and we replace him with a great number three. And they lose a number one center back and replace him with a 36-year-old defensive midfielder. And it's, you know, why Jared Bowen ran all over them on Saturday afternoon, because they had $50 million of a center back they don't trust on the bench. It's about the culture. It's not just about the depth of players. It's that every player believes if they're called on, that they're gonna step up and perform. I I believe Costas was buoyant and was probably frustrated he didn't get to take one of the first five penalties because he looks like a guy to me that believed he was one of the best five penalty takers on the pitch. And when you asked about, you know, the sub patterns and kind of that, and Paul referenced like all the players we lost, Van Dyke's situation is a prime example of like the right culture and leadership. After the game, Van Dyke said, I felt a twinge in my thigh in the first half. I got through it, but as the match went on, it was getting a little tighter. I felt like I couldn't. I wanted to stay on the pitch, but I couldn't put my guys in that position. What if I couldn't run a ball down the channel? Like he basically said, I had to take myself out at that moment for the betterment of this team. And you compare that to what I mentioned Thursday night on the pod when I was joking why I had no faith in Chelsea's defense. Because they were going to start three center backs who had already signed contracts for other clubs. And then you come find out one of their starting center backs the morning of the match told Tuchel he wasn't able to play. Christensen was supposed to start over Chalaba All week, all preparation, all their plans. And he backed out of the match based on like his own anxiety and mental feel. And part of it was was he thought he was going to – he admitted it today. He thought he'd be jeered by the Chelsea supporters who know he's already signed a pre-contract with Barcelona. So like this is the type of unrest. And we have a guy like Divac who may have a contract with AC Milan, but he has enough respect for what's going on at our club to not talk about it. It's the same as what we did with Fulham. I mean, I believe that was Liverpool saying, hey, we're not going to talk about this Carvalho deal. We're not going to say it. We're not going to confirm it. You don't confirm it. Like, you guys earn your promotion, and then when it's all said and done, we'll we'll make we'll do it right. And I think that permeates through the whole club, and I think you see it on the pitch. So to Paul's point, when four deputies come in, they believe they're just the next man up in the best team in the world because I think Klopp's instilled in them that they can do the job when called upon it, and that he has the confidence in them. And I, I just think we're seeing it just permeate throughout the entire club. And, and that, dude, that Costa story I'm
2: sorry I just want to jump in. that Costa story is such a special story because I mean you're talking about a kid that was 24 years old in the Greek League. He's Greek. So he's playing in the biggest team in the Greek League. He has two contracts to max out like these are two he has two more contracts in which the majority of his career will cash in on. but 24 years old, generally what you're looking for, is starting 11 football. You don't look to go, go play somewhere. What does he do? He signs a contract with a team where he's going to sit behind arguably the best person in his position in the entire world with no guarantees of playing time, like, in a in a completely foreign country. Like, to me, it's just such an incredibly brave move to make. Like, as, a, as an individual, it's so brave. And then they go in and immediately bed into that team with the personality that he has. And then he steps up and he drills the, the the final PK in the FA Cup final. It's like the best. Like it is a script that gets handed over on a desk in Hollywood and gets rejected. Because it's too, it's like it's too too like emotionally and too, it's just too far out. Like it's just like even Disney would turn that thing down. But I just love that story for Costas because I think it's such a brave career move to make. And I think there's a real, I think there's a real story in there. Like I was telling my 12 year old on the way home from school today about it. Like he was asking about the match cause he missed it. And I was just telling him like that. That's just, it's, it's, it's such, um, it's such a story and it's such a learning moment for like what happens when you put your nose down and work hard for something and you go somewhere where you believe you want to be. Um, and then you let your work speak for itself. Yeah, and that's what, you know, Jamie says.
0: You can't just buy that connection, passion and camaraderie. I'm a, uh, camaraderie. Uh, imagine being us. And I know, and that's what I was getting at with that game. I mean, that comes and that gets built. I mean, that the credit has to go to club because it's built on success. I mean, when we talk the body language and the trust in each other and kind of working towards the same goal you have to have a positive atmosphere. And in the beginning, it was a two-two draw. Like you have to find small positives to build on. And I think, you know, the credit goes to club at the time, it got mocked, and that's why I remember that very vividly that it got mocked that we were celebrating with the fans, that we you know we like tied a game and stuff like that. But you know, now you can look back, and see that it was more about finding those little things to celebrate together, little successes. Because as those successes get bigger, I think it's a lot easier to be positive on the field. It's a lot easier to trust the person next to you. And I think it's a lot easier to have belief in the coach and what he's saying and buy into the the whole, you know, the family as like Sparky Parky calls it. Because you're seeing the progress and you can see like kind of like the building blocks And yeah, the body language, especially as you like look on the field. But I think that kind of gets, like I say, established by winning and almost it's a snowball effect. Really, as you win more, you kind of like build that confidence to win more and stuff like that. And that's why, you know, what this team is doing is historic. I think it still gets taken for granted. We kind of forget about it. But I mean, holy crap i mean playing every single game possible dominating most of them and we almost like you know fans still get upset when we do not dominate and when we have to go to penalty kicks for example bickler what do you make of penalty kicks honestly watching the extra time today i mean i mean during the fa cup final made me realize yeah we do need these because you could see everybody about to pass out the game was that intense normally in the past it's almost like you know you know like we they tried the golden goal at one point. I can't remember what world cup it was. And it used to be in the European championships as well, the golden goal and stuff. And honestly watching even the quality dropped in that extra time, it just says, yeah, there has to be a way to end this.
2: Yeah. I think it was pretty clear about 10 minutes in the extra time. Both teams were folding up shop for PKs. Like, I mean, there was like, you're going to pick your spot. Right. But like, other than that, I mean, everybody's gassed and it, I think it's magnified by the end of a very long season for both teams. I mean, we talk about our run. We played Chelsea in two cup finals, so they've obviously played a ton of games too. So, yeah,
1: believe it or not, they've played they actually played one more game than we had going into this because they had to play the two in the club World Cup and the Super League final. Yep. So, they had played three before the other three were going to play in the two semifinals and, and this one. So, it's just amazing that literally these two clubs that have played the most minutes of any – two clubs in all of Europe have played each other almost to a stalemate over what almost four full matches now with the two extra times um five full matches it's a it's a grind and I think you saw it on display as dominant as we were in those first 15 minutes we could have scored two goals I mean Tiago was what two inches from tapping that ball that Diaz crossed in but you saw the play as well like it looked like we talked about after the League Cup how that, that was a nil-nil draw that went to penalties that you could write books about because of the actual drama in the match, the bar goals, the goals that should have been had, the great opportunities, the saves. This one, both teams had about 20, 30 minutes of really great play. Liverpool dominated second half, didn't create enough chances outside of maybe Robo hitting the post that really should have been buried. You know, There's not really a clear cut opportunity late on. It was just one of those matches where it felt like two teams that were in quicksand. And then you start seeing muscle injury after muscle injury that lets you know, can't get rid of penalties. We're going to ask these guys to play this much football. If anything, we should be questioning whether or not we should be getting rid of extra time. Yeah. To be totally honest. And that may be a topic for the summer when we have podcasts to fill, but I genuinely would go to penalties quicker. I think. I agree with that, and I also think think
2: it makes the last 15 minutes of a match more exciting. Yeah, this has to
0: be a podcast topic sometime in the summer because I will be against it, to be honest, because especially for teams who already start going for the penalties from the get-go, it it brings that target goal even closer because now they have to defend even 30 minutes less. To be able to go to the penalty kicks. I think it's on
2: brand. I know that the old timers are going to be against it. And let's face it. You're old as fuck. So I mean,
0: maybe that that's what it is. Maybe that's and what that
1: is. was like Ask. tossed out. <laughs> that was tossed out based on what I just saw. Yeah. Um, you know, I just don't really believe now, as far as penalties go, do I enjoy them? I will say this when I am watching the euros and I am a straight up asshole neutral. I fucking love them. Because you know what I love? I love that half the people are anxiety and sick and disgusted inside, and the other half are exuberant. And then two seconds later, you think you're about to win, and the keeper saves one. And, And I love the drama. I won't lie. Like, I don't want players to be racially abused, but I like to see what star player, you know, goes Baggio and kicks away a World Cup, and what star player steps up and, like, makes a name for themselves and just does something huge. That said, when it's us, it drives me freaking crazy. And I paced and I could barely look and I was half watching and not watching. And I was swearing and kind of starting the penalty on this TV and finishing it on this one. It was it was awful, I will admit. I And, um, you know, once it was over, I was very happy. And like Paul, I celebrated like a madman. Luckily, there's probably not. Yeah, I think we recording. should walk
2: through this. So, Gally, you were pacing and switching TVs. How about you, Timuchin? Were you even watching? Were you pulling the cloth and, like, looking out the back deck with Stitch at the Ducks? No. So, in a
0: normal game atmosphere, it's I'm constantly pacing in front of the TV, almost pretty much playing. Uh, I'm open. I never get the ball. Uh, but I'm, like, kind of pacing constantly in front of the TV. And, you know, Stitch over here uh, is around me uh thinking you know he senses that i'm not comfortable i'm like kind of like you know has the anxiety but you know he's a golden retriever who has even more freaking anxiety than i do so we're constantly pacing chasing each other he's getting in my way and i'm like dude move and then you know he's waiting for a goal anyway he was extremely pissed off that this went to extra time with no goals and he got ripped off from like goal snacks throughout the game but then he found his role in penalty kicks because then he realized, I don't know what it is, dude. This oh, is- there's a tree that every kid, <laughs> man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. I was
0: like, no, we're not doing that because I'm like, <laughs> cause he's going to get <laughs> out. So we're not doing that, but he's like there. I'm like, hold on, dude. Because he knows, like we talked about this in the past, like when there's a goal, when I'm in doubt, I'm like, hold on, dude. And then he knows, like he'll sit and wait. Make sure the VAR is good. He waits for this. Back, He's like, yes. I'm like, yes, I'm <laughs> the
2: <need>
0: <laughs> But then with the penalty kicks, I was like, hold on, dude. And then a penalty happens. He was for once a very calming presence because he was sitting right next to me as I'm pacing back and forth. He was sitting in the middle of the room. I was kind of like circling around him in a way. But he was a very calming presence, I have to say, except when I was kind of like pulling a galley, like cursing or jumping up and down and stuff like that he's like is it over is it over and that wants me one he got the big snacks i even posted a yeah. photo of his happy looking I'm a, the bag
2: i'm a big believer one. in energy during out. so the first one i was home with all my boys collectively freaking out but this one i was in a packed bar and when money missed you kind of felt the sort of energy in the room flip you know what i mean so like and i'm sitting there and i had to pee and i was like dude something's got to change like something in this room has to change, and it's gonna be me peeing. So like I, I like when Mason Mount stepped you're up. Your pants? Yeah. You're so just sure I just went right, right there. there. I just like went there. right there. Sweet. Did, you know. Sweet.
1: Like I and fit right in. It's face. a dive bar
2: anyway. No one even like no one noticed. No, like so when Mason Mount stepped up, I stepped out. He stepped up. I stepped out to the root the restroom. I'm in just the grossest bathroom of all time, which is which is pretty. I mean, if you know the bar, I'm maybe. assuming there's no hand washing going on here. But go ahead. <laughs> Loving the time of COVID, you know. Anyway, um, so I'm in there and I hear just the eruption. You know what I mean? So I know I'm like I, I'm like, yes, dude, we missed. I went out, dirty hands and all, just put my arms around Jamie and the rest of the lads and watched the spring at home. And I'm not going to claim that I'm responsible for it, but I am a big big believer in energy. So that was my experience. Glad I stepped out when I did. Mason out did his thing. Part of the story you left out is what happened to your hand during these celebrations
0: or the, or did you bust your hand or vein or whatever you were saying? Cause you couldn't feel your hand after the game was over.
2: <sighs> yes. So <laughs> the best that I can remember is that my hand went up at the exact same time that an elbow came down. Um, and I remember vividly my beer essentially rocketing into the roof of this dive bar. Um, and then I just remember just pandemonium. But then I also looked down and, and like realized like I can't feel my hand at all, like at all. And uh, I looked down at it and, and Jamie just kind of looks over and is like, that's fucked. And like I mean, like it was like it looked like somebody had glued like half of a softball onto my hand. But it was like this weird white ring, like on the center of where like my thumb connects with my hand. But, and so like, I just kind of quietly walked to the other room. Like there's a room where there's like a, like a pool table. Nobody was in there. And I went in there because I like, I just don't want people to see me cry. if I cry. Like
1: I'm in do. there with I'm like kidding. a
2: cold beer, just have like a cold beer on my hand in the corner by myself. And like, <laughs> I walk out later and uh, I could make a fist. So I knew it wasn't broken. I think I just broke a blood vessel, but I woke up the next morning and strangely enough, the knuckles on my hand, were purple. Like, it was the weirdest things. Because I know my knuckles my knuckles didn't hit anything. So, anyway, that's my worst story. I, you me. might want to ask Jamie that. But
0: meanwhile, was... Jamie has a bruised eye.
2: Yeah, Jamie's like, <laughs> like I don't know what you're wandering. talking about. You hit every whiskey barrel in that place. Like, I don't know. Yeah, so that's my worst story. You could have been crying in the bar and be
0: like, FA Cup means this much to Just me. Just a single
2: tear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, let so. me ask you that then, Gally. Uh, does FA Cup win yeah. the second... Cup, we win another trophy. What does that mean to you? And what do you think it means to the team overall?
1: I, this is immense. This is massive. This is, you know, what what does it make? Jordan Henderson, the first Liverpool captain to live every lift every single trophy on offer while captain. Like Jordan Henderson has done something that no other Liverpool captain has ever done which is lift every single trophy on offer to him during his career. That's pretty remarkable. The fact that Klopp has now filled the cabinet with one of every of the major trophies, including, you know, a European cup, two, two additional finals appearances, a Europa League final. I mean, to me, this one put two big things to, to, to bed. Gosh forbid things don't go right on Sunday or tomorrow. Gosh forbid We come up on the other end of a penalty shootout in Paris. We're leaving this season with two trophies with a chance, with a week to go in the season to get all four. And I don't care what two you get. If you play that many matches and you're that consistently good, you're not just a good team. You're a great team with another 90 plus win season in the bank that would have won this premier league anytime over the last 25 years before city was anything of, So for that level of dominance in play, to me, it's the full circle validation to why Klopp came here originally, and more importantly, why he signed the first extension, the second extension, and why he signed the third one, because he doesn't see this ending. And to Paul's point, you know, somehow we all spent all season worrying about whether or not we would re-sign Mo and what was going to happen with his contract. And I still think that there hopefully will be resolution maybe in the next month, but Klopp saw a talent, maybe didn't know he was this good, but went and bought a player that over three months time has become the most influential player at the club. And it's not like it was for a match. It's been a month straight at the most important critical time. So to me, this is phase one, you know, and Carvalho may be, you know, if we steal a page from the greatest television story ever told in The Wire, and there's no true characters, right? It's just players in a game. And the, Omar's the, coming. The, the primary main character. Every time I tell anyone about the show, like I'm like, you know who the lead character is? And they're like, they rip out five different names. I'm like, the motherfucking city of Baltimore, because nothing changes. <laughs> if the game stays the same, the players switch. And we're watching it now. And, and in that revolution, right, the, Michael was the new Omar, the way Carvalho is the new Bobby, and Diaz is the new Mane. And you're going to see this just keep happening over and over. And I believe it. And Canate may eventually be the new Van Dyke. And I genuinely think that's why there's so much energy. So for me, it's the fact that young players played such a key role in both of the cup domestic competitions, you know, like Taki might not get to play again for this club ever, but he'll always be able to say, I have two winners' medals and I scored nine goals and had five assists in the matches that led to those finals. And to me, that says everything about Jones and Taki and the, again, the, this club and how great it is. So I think, I
0: mean, I don't not know, like, me. what do you think about this, Victor? Do you think the, the team feels the same way? But to me, it felt like, it's really in a season like this, where you're going for the quad and obviously, you know, these guys look at game at a time and stuff like that, but I mean, they know how great of a season this is and they should, but to me, this kind of lowers the stress and the pressure that's on the champions league. I mean, it does for me as a personal level, because kind of like what Gally is saying, a double, my biggest fear for this season was ending with just a league cup. After chasing the quad, because of uh, you know, like it, like this Mm -hmm. game, a penalty going one way, and kind of like what galley is saying, and Paris going the other way, and you know, that was my biggest worry because I feel like this team deserves more. Uh, you know, you don't want to have to run for the quad, yeah, it's a great season, but then if you end up with leak up, it kind of taints that great run. So, to me, at least personally, it kind of eases that stress for the team and for myself. I mean, I'm still going to be, you know. We're gonna be chasing each other with Stitch all game again. But I'm just saying, you know, in terms of the pressure of having to win something else this season is a lot less. Do you think the team feels the same way? Or is it just I don't think us the team fans? does. I
2: don't think the team does. I think we yeah. do. I, I but I think I mean that's just life as a supporter, man. Like after we drew the last match in the in the league, like I literally woke up from a fever dream where we had lost the League to City and then we had lost the cup final. And then we lost the Champions League in like in this like fucking weird dream. Basically, I was looking back at the greatest history of Liverpool football overshadowed by a city team that had been basically fabricated and built up the the a budget that dwarfs some national defense budgets on just right backs. Like, you know what I mean? It's like I and it's like. That, I think, is my biggest fear is, like, I do not want this era of football to be overshadowed by City. Um, like, and that has nothing to do with the politics of, of, of what I believe, like, because, I mean, we could get into how I feel like City is just bad for football in general. But, like, I, 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 like, it just, this team deserves everything. It deserves to be recognized as one of the greatest teams ever in the history of of modern football of any football. And I just like to get, I think to get the domestic sweep is important for that. Uh, the way in which you did it against the same opponent, which is very difficult to do um, with basically four of our starting 11 on the bench. Like I just, the way it was done too was so was such a great fucking story Um yeah, I think it's I think it's big for us as supporters. I don't think the team feels that way. I don't think Klopp allows them to get into that mentality. I think that they I think that they are they're living in a moment that we can't even imagine. Like we feel it as supporters, it's got to be completely different as a player. Like I mean, I sure they're enjoying it and they're they're loving it, but I don't know if they necessarily have the perspective that supporters have when we're looking at it in the bubble of history. And maybe they will in a couple of years times, or maybe they will even in the summer, you know, maybe when like Trent's riding his bike in the Maldives, he'll be thinking about it. But like, I think right now they're so, they're so intensely into the, into the fire right now. I don't believe that they're, they're feeling it like that. And like, um, you know, we talked about David Rice's article and how great that article was. And I really firmly believe that like, we just have to, we 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 did a domestic sweep, and we can sit back and let's just fucking enjoy this moment because it's it, it may be a moment as as supporters in the in the course of our lifetime we may not ever get to experience it again. Now, glass half full, this team is set up for sustained success, and like we, this is what I don't understand about anybody who's anti ownership with FSG. Like, I get the natural distrust for Americans, especially after Hicks and Gillette. But if you look at what has happened, they're not perfect owners. But what they have done is what every serious supporter could ever want for a club. It's built to be financially sustainable. It's built for long-term, on-the-pitch success. And it's a team filled with character. Filled with characters that are, like, fundamentally good humans and top-level footballers. Like And I think that's the difference between us and City. If you look at quality, City's got some amazing quality on that pitch. They've got human beings that would never be allowed near our club. And that's what I'm most proud about. And we should really, really enjoy that right now.
0: And that's a good point. And I agree to that in terms of the players probably don't even realize it. It's one of those where it's almost like one big game probably for them the season where you kind of like stop afterwards and be like, "Whoa, that was crazy. You know what I mean? Like in terms of like this entire ride, because they're constantly and because of like their schedule as well, it's constantly ongoing games and, you know, back to back and all important games too. like constant finals. And even in the Premier League, every game feels like a final because of, you know, City's form as well. Uh, well, welcome, Gary Davies. He says, just found the site. Interesting being read, read since childhood. Born in Liverpool, live in Florida for work. Happy to be here. Happy to have you on board, Gary. Uh, we're here listening to bickler every monday at 7 p.m and listen to galley as well but so galley let me come to you in terms of after the game and i kind of want to i mean, obviously i don't know if bickler got a chance to he probably looked at it afterwards after attending to his hand and sobering up and stuff but you know like you know as you're watching the celebrations and stuff give me one thing one thing that you kind of like were watching and took away from that celebration, like one player or one incident, give me just one.
1: Um, I'll take the moment that Mo and Tiago are leaning up against the uh, backdrop and Tiago grabs the like hand. It's like a Mo Salah face and he holds it this. over his and he's next to Mo and Mo is just smiling. And I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a one B. It's Mo and Mane taking the picture with the trophy together. And if you read the caption and you actually believe what Paul Joyce in the Echo says, Sadio Mane went and found Mo Salah and told him he wanted to take a picture with the FA Cup trophy because he has a picture at his office of the two of them with every title they've won together. So for all you people out there who want to make it that they hate each but other. This doesn't pass you know, that they don't pass to each other, you know, just, just stick it in your ass shut your mouth, and, you know, give me something else to rant about next year when, you know, that post comes back up again. But, uh, those two moments, just how this team wraps around maybe those injured players and how excited they were to celebrate with the guys who didn't have an opportunity to do the job on the pitch. And, uh, yeah, it was really special. I think for Tiago, especially after what happened to him in the League Cup. You know, it's just the players and that ha- happiness.
0: How about you, Bickler, apart from the purple knuckles uh, after you recovered, like from the celebrations that you I mean, saw, if you picked one thing that stuck out to you?
2: I mean, I thought the Tiago moment was beautiful. Um, and so it's cheating. I'm trying to think of another one. There's so many great moments. Uh Cost us was the cup on the, uh, on the sort of terrace, which is a good one uh, because he did a thing where he like faked, like he was going to like hand it one way and then handed it the other way, which was pretty <laughs> hilarious. Um, there was just so many good moments. I really, I think the Mo one's really important because like, look, dude, we, we know he's been out of form for the better part of almost two and a half months now. Uh, we've been frustrated with the contract situation. Um, But I think it's like bigger it the moment was bigger than football. And I felt like the collectively that team took a Mo Salah who seems kind of beat up emotionally right now and sort of picked him up and was like, you know, you're a huge you're a huge reason that we're what we are as a football team. You know, even when Mo's not at his best, what he does is he creates space for others because he demands that double, that triple team down that that side. Um I think there's so many things that he does besides put the ball in the net. I just thought it was really nice to collectively see that team sort of pick him up in which like, you know, he would never say this, but I thought, I thought that Mo was, was pretty, I mean, he's a pretty quiet, humble guy anyway, but I felt like he was, he seemed a little dejected. I think a lot of that was the fact that he had to come out early um, in that match, but it was, it was good to see that team basically be like, you don't get to, you don't get to do this. You're a big part of this. Um, And I love that for him. Yeah, I think like, you know, watching it throughout Thiago,
0: throughout the entire thing stuck out to me the most. One, this is the guy that's won everything under the sun. And to see how much this actually meant to him was amazing to see, first of all. And I think, you know, I, like Yali was saying, it has a lot to do with what happened in the league cup, missing out, and, you know, not being able to play that. So that was really amazing to see. I mean, the dude is world-class. Just a joy to watch, first of all. I mean, when we were talking about performances, it's almost like he has become... I feel like he's becoming Van Dyke, where we take that performance for granted a little bit. They're like, well, he's just going a thing. You know? uh, we're just so underrating
2: I, him. His average is everyone else's eight and a half. So...
0: Yep. But aside from that, you know, throughout, even on their way up, as they were waiting to go up to the trophy, he was constantly pulling Mo into the celebrations. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was that's just class. I, either because he was just on that side when we won the, the league cup, not being able to play and actually play maybe like a physical part in the success, but throughout that he was doing that and I thought uh this boss is talking about too that you know Klopp tells him that if he knew he was this good, you know he would have signed him 4 years ago. Well, I mean, you can ask a couple of guys in say, America like Nick. He still wouldn't sign him, but that's a different story. Uh, but, you know, and then I guess Tiago says, well, you taught me how to run. And I think that by itself shows that we can bring in experienced players and they can still add to their game and carry this team even more forward. I was just totally in awe of watching a guy. I think more than anything else, how much this actually meant to him and how much more it has in him because I feel like he will still be a big part of this team, like moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, just ecstatic. I mean, it just made Saturday a great day, and I think really helps make the season a solid season for like the reasons we talked about. And it's not over then. We have a Sunday where it could have been even better, but I told you guys, you know, on Discord, everybody was already up and down. So I was like, man, let's calm down, but still, we get a good result where. The quad is still on. Uh, So, Gally, let me come to you first with this. The quad is still on, but obviously these guys just played a brutal game, extra time, a lot of injury concerns. And we have a Champions League final looming where it is totally under our control and we don't have to rely on other results. So bearing all these in mind, what do you expect tomorrow?
1: I expect heavy rotation tomorrow and I expect the um, I I expect the sports science people to ultimately pick tomorrow's lineup is exactly what I expect. I expect the people that like put the heat maps on their thighs and tell you the percentage of a chance that there's a tear or a, you know, uh, that shows fatigue in a muscle. I honestly believe it'll be the sports science guys and girls that actually almost picked the lineup and Klopp has joked about that before you know it's not always up to me the the physios tell me who can play sometimes and then i pick the ones who can and i don't think anyone who played 90 plus minutes is going to start tomorrow because it's literally two days away and they admitted that even though they didn't drink and celebrate they were still going to have a celebration and have to travel back from london on saturday night so for me I think we see seven to eight changes from the lineup that started. Now, some of that's forced due to injury, but I think there'll be that many changes. We can talk about who they are. I think we're almost all on the same page of who they would be outside of maybe one, two players. Uh, but I think it's going to be heavy rotation tomorrow at something.
0: So I'm going to give you three names, Bickler. Your question is not as easy as I'm going to throw at Gallia. I'm going to give you three names. You tell me if we see any of them tomorrow. Taki, guy who always needs a big chance,
2: Ox, and Elliot. Well, let me start with that. Klopp gets a smoking room in every hotel they're at, so there's absolutely no way there wasn't any drinking involved. Um, I will go yes on two of the three. I think we will see Minamino. I'm not convinced he starts. I think Jones probably starts,
1: and I don't think we see Ox. I don't think Ox makes the lineup, even the match day squad. Which is which is just really? crazy for a number of reasons. It's it's
2: I don't know. It's wild. He's on crazy wages. Uh, I really wanted him to turn the corner, but man, I, I don't know. I don't I don't see it. Hope to are wrong. Hope he hope, hope he action. comes out and lights it on fire. Like, when you look back,
0: you know, the season we won the title, the one before that, how crucial he is in a lot of the games, how involved he is in a lot of the mm-hmm. goals we scored, whether assisting or scoring them, that you mo- you don't even, like, remember when you go watch those highlights, sometimes I fall in these YouTube holes that I keep telling you guys about and watch video after video after video, and you see, like, holy cow, he was involved in so much that maybe we don't, you know, look back and be like, oh, Ox, we always talked about the front three at the time. Uh, with, you know, Mo, Bobby, and Mane. Uh, It's a shame that injury just kind of like derailed him for good. I feel like Taki, because A, he played a big part in these two cups that we won uh, with the goals he scored, like you were saying, Gally, and I feel like he's familiar with Southampton, having been loaned there, played in the stadium, so it's a familiar environment for him. I feel like we will see him. What do you say about those three names? I won't let you get away with that taking a crack I, at it.
1: I think Taki will play. I don't know if he'll start. He might get a start. I would, I could see a Rigi getting a start and Taki being a sub. Um, I do think that I think Bobby will start in this matchup. I know it would be a very, very awkward front three of Bobby origi and Jota. Um, but we've seen Klopp will put someone anywhere and I wouldn't be that surprised that those were the three that play, uh, To Paul's point, I think if Mo gets hurt at 60 minutes, I think Bobby would have come in. But I think the idea of bringing him in on 30 with a chance of him having to play 90 with extra time as a possibility just wasn't going to happen. And I think that's why we saw Jota so early in that match. I think Jota will start for sure. That's my one guarantee. And I think the midfield will probably be Kata because he came out and only played 70 minutes, probably Kata Milner, and Jones. And that's a dangerous midfield when you're going to rotate heavy at the back as well. But I, I, I just think that you can't risk Thiago. I don't think you can risk Hendo after all the minutes they've put in their legs lately with the big Champions League final coming.
0: Yeah, Alan says Taki, Elliott, and Milner. I feel like that just raises the risk that galley put and triples it almost when you have Taki and Ali's in there. I think you almost have to have Milner in there, right? I mean, the only other guy that can probably play defensive mid, Bickler. Uh, yeah, I mean, my didn't. mid would
2: be – the mid that makes sense to me would be uh, Milner, um uh, and Jones. That's the midfield that makes the most sense to me. Front three, like, we're looking at a crapshoot. Like, so – I think there is going to be heavy rotation. However, though, I do think that, like, we're setting up to win this match, I think. Okay. And I think that, like, you can argue that we have the the secondary and third string quality win versus Southampton. It doesn't have to play anything to play for. But I think – I really think that the front three will be a relatively strong front three, and I think it's going to be Jota, Bobby, and Diaz. And I know Diaz is a bit of a shock coming off how many minutes he played – But I think the plan is to start Diaz and pull him at halftime for for maybe somebody like Minamino. The other front three that I could see if we're going with a soft, like rotated front three would be Origi on the left, Bobby in the middle, um, and Minamino on the right. Um, I am not comfortable with that front three just because I would rather us see – like I would rather us go in really strong and then make those changes at halftime than chase a match. Um, personally, but um, I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. I
1: I think the fact that the goal difference is gone, and for all the people that were doom and gloom, I I had one goal on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, which was West Ham needed a result because two teams had to take points off city. We weren't going to overtake seven goals at Southampton. And maybe if nobody gets hurt and everybody's healthy after the FA Cup, and City lost three, nothing. Maybe Klopp would have said, you know what? I'm going guns blazing. We're going to put up seven at Southampton. They're good to give up five and start Mo and Mane and, and just throw hell to the wind. Right. But I don't think you can do that with the champions league final coming and You still have to win both of these matches. So you can't go for everything tomorrow and we're not going to make up this goal difference. So, we just got to find a way, even if it's one nothing ugly like it was at Newcastle. We just got to get three points tomorrow. We got to get to Wolves on Sunday. And we got to hope that there's some type of magic. You know, for anyone who doesn't think it can happen, Manchester City was a bigger favorite the day 10-man QPR almost beat them, and they needed two goals in stoppage time to win the league on their Aguero moment. They were a bigger favorite that day to not drop points. And honestly, their team was healthier. They had a leader like Vincent company. And who the hell knows? Ederson could come flying out of his box and get a red card eight minutes into the game. Villa could yes, get sir. a penalty. The, league, the, the, the year that we
2: ran the entire league was the year that they went down center backs early. And they're missing three of their starting back four. Anything's yeah. possible. And For I the guess- season.
1: For the season. And I yeah, I just feel like that's why to me we go there tomorrow. I think it could be the opposite of Paul, and I could be totally wrong. It could Klopp rarely starts the lineup and then with the 45 minute subs because he always has that like he's either going one way or the other. Yeah. These guys from the start, and I have these guys if I need to change the game. And I almost feel like Mane and Diaz are literally two aces. He's like holding pocket aces in his sleeve if they're sitting on the bench. Because to me, if you have to put on, if you put Louis Diaz on in the second half and he's running at, you know, Jan bednarick and you know whatever Jamoke they start at right back or Pat, you know, Pat Walker Peters. I mean. I just see them or that Salisiu, that Salisu guy could get a red card in five minutes, pick up seven yellows by tackling Diaz, just trying to get by him. So I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's not house money, because we got to get six points to give ourselves a chance to win this title. But I do feel like it has a little bit of that rotation and going for a one-nil victory and not trying to go win three nothing and make it pretty. Cause I think the back line is going to be some pretty heavy rotation too. I wouldn't even be surprised if Gomez starts at center back. Cause I don't know if you roll Canate out there after 120 minutes. So real. I mean, I
0: agree with, I think Gallimore in terms of that lineup where you put Diaz and Mane in case of like behind glass and you break it in case of an emergency kind of a deal. And I would love to see Divac out there get his moments, and I really think he will do well. But it's kind of like an odd trio that you know you like. You put up there Bickler too with him, Bobby, and Jota or like Taki. I just don't know. There's so many. You can't. Like, the, new the problem pieces. is
2: this, the right wing. That's the problem. Yeah. You can't. You can't. You can move those guys anywhere, but you can't put Jota right. You can't put him on the right. So you have the, to play Divac there. That's where that and that's Vinamino's spot, so it's that's the weird one, but
0: yeah, it's gonna be. So, let's take a quick score prediction. Start with you, Bickler. Give me a score. Oh, seven one. Good guys. Ah, good call. Good call. Just after we talked about it,
1: just like we discussed. (laughs) Good prediction. What do you have, Gally? Uh, I'm gonna go squeaky, I'm gonna go two nil, and it's not even that comfortable.
0: Uh, I go to my heart says to one you guys don't want to know what my head says one. let's go with my heart yeah it's gonna be another pace around with stitch kind of day is what I'm guessing so uh I'm sure he's ready for it. I, I at least he'll be happy two goals is better than what he got for freaking hundred and twenty minutes he was extremely frustrated as I was so what are you gonna do so on Thursday I'll be back with the gang and hopefully we'll still be chasing the quad. I think tomorrow's game like decides a lot in terms of what's going to happen coming up Sunday as well. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. And thanks to all those commenting, liking. Give us a share, especially on Twitter and YouTube. Make sure you give us a follow, subscribe, whichever applies. And then we will see you guys back on Thursday. Take care, everybody.